0: Robin Openshaw here, and welcome back to the Vibe Show. Today, I am interviewing someone that you've seen. She's total fire. She's in Texas. She's a mom. She's a warrior. Uh, She speaks on behalf of the highly vaccine hesitant uh, Black community and the scientific PhD community, and she has a great legacy in her family. I think that her grandmother would be very, very proud of her. I have a similar story in that my grandmother uh, detoxified herself and got well at the age of 51 um, when she was diagnosed with cancer and she took the road less traveled. You may know my story that she decided to juice every vegetable and every green inside, and she got well from cancer and lived another 20 years and made a, really the most profound impact on my life from the time she got well from cancer to To her late 70s when she died, and Dr. Christina Parks has a similar story, and I think that uh, she, her grandmother, may have been destroyed by modern medicine's experimentation on Black people, but she, her legacy carries forward to more generations. Not only did uh, her grandmother make major sacrifices. Uh, I think valedictorian at age 15 and and educated her own son who then made opportunity for Dr. Parks and she hasn't forgotten that. I think it's so um, wonderful to reflect on the sacrifices made by our parents and grandparents so that we could make our impact on the world. So I'm really excited to introduce you to her.
1: Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe, and here's your host, Robin Openshaw.
0: Dr. Christina Parks, welcome to the Vibe Show. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Okay, so you have a PhD in cellular and molecular biology, and you've sort of burst onto the scene this past year. You've been a really articulate spokesperson, uh, not just for... The fraud and what we're all being told by the agencies that are supposed to protect our public health, but also for the African American community. Or um, I think you prefer, and my husband prefers uh, that we say Black. So we checked that out in advance. He says, My husband says that not all Black people came from Africa. So stop saying that. But it was like coming out of my mouth for like 10 years before I met him. So if I screw that up, I apologize. But you've been really speaking up for the Black community and why we have less than 30, What it, Black people are standing up to, to the job. PhDs are standing up to the job. Hispanics are standing up to the job. Should we just start there? What's up with that? They
1: don't trust their government, right? And they've got a lot of good reasons, um, both globally and just in the US. Um, people don't like to be experimented on. You know, I'm not sure if you're aware of the Plotkin depositions, where yes. Stanley Plotkin, who's the... Um, that grandfather of, of vaccination, basically admits that they've been, you know, um, experimenting on black people and on um, special needs children and institutions. And so all of this has been hidden from the American public, but it's our lived experience. And so, um, you know, my great, my grandmother, you know, went, she had, her husband had a great job. He was an engineer on the railroad. She had great insurance. But um, she had worked in a sweatshop to put her four kids through private Catholic school, destroyed her back, needed back surgery, could not get a good surgeon, went to the public hospital, which is the only place that would admit blacks, and basically got a medical student who did her surgery, destroyed her back, was on intense pain medication, and died at the age of 51. I'm 51 right now. So, you know, she graduated from high school through 12th grade, you know, valedictorian, At 15. Um, And and that's what was available to her. And so her story and just her very presence was very motivating to me that I had been given a gift at great expense. Um, My my dad being able to go to college and then provide for us an upper middle class uh, lifestyle, and then me being able to go to college and graduate school was a gift from her and from that family. And so I did not want to waste it, and I don't feel that I did. Um, and I think that this is our lived experience, you know. And I think we're collectively living the experience of that that Black people and many marginalized groups have been living. You know, you go to the hospital and they kill you now, right? They they don't treat you; they give you remdesivir and then put you on a bed. And so this these kind of things have been the lived experiences of minority groups for for hundreds of years. And so, um, you know, many of us don't want to line up to be experimented on again, which, of course, under the EUA emergency authorization is exactly what these COVID vaccines are.
0: Maybe we should educate people a little bit about, I think probably most people know a little bit about the Tuskegee experiment where, um, you know, universities, the medical system, lots of PhDs all all sort of polluted. Well, it was the precursor to the
1: CDC, and they changed their name to the CDC after that to get away from the stigma of experimenting on Black men who had syphilis and not treating them for 40 years and letting them suffer and give it to their wives and their children and die, and, and it was just horrific. And um, so, and they, be- that- and they
0: believed they were being treated, right? So, Right. They were told they were being treated for
1: bad blood. But see, that's the tip of the iceberg because that's only a few hundred people. You know, I think it was in California, they um, experimented on black boys, giving them four times the dose for measles. Well, in fact, we now know because of differences in how our body's immune systems respond, we may only need half the dose of the vaccine. So that's like giving them eight times the amount of a vaccine that they need for, I believe that was MMR. And then when those lives are destroyed, nobody cares. You know, nobody's talking about the um, MMR, how it affects black boys, the fact that the CDC actually found out in 2002 that black boys were more likely to receive an autism diagnosis if they were um, given the MMR on time than if they were given it late. They were 336% uh, more likely to get an autism diagnosis, and the CDC shredded those data. Um, we've been waiting since William Thompson came out in 2012 to 2014 when he claimed whistleblower status to have congressional hearings. And nobody even knows about this story. And so this is a story that I was telling you about my friend Riza Islam um, is bringing to the black community to say, hey, like, this is not okay." And this is a story that I'm bringing because this is not one isolated incident. This is repeated abuse, experimentation, marginalization. And that's why 70% of Blacks don't want this. Uh, they don't trust it. They don't trust their government. And, and it's their lived experience that bad things happen like this.
0: Yeah, my husband was adopted out from a 16-year-old mother here in Florida. He's He's 41 and his white adopted family showed up and got him when he was like two days old. But I've told him because of the experience of William Thompson, who shredded all the data showing that Uh, black boys were like, had four times the damage and death rate and autism rate of white boys getting the MMR. I, I said to him, I'm like, your mom with her 14 kids, I would bet you anything that you didn't get all the jobs. Like she was just overwhelmed. She had so many kids. And when we were moving from Utah to Florida earlier this year, we found his vaccine record in his his stuff. And I, I wasn't wrong. Like half of them were missing. And I was like, praise the Lord, praise Jesus. Yes. (laughs) So, so you, you probably have a backstory that you woke up quickly in this whole COVID thing because you already had done quite a bit of research on vaccines in general, right? It's not my, my audience has heard a lot of this from a lot of your colleagues and other experts and people who've had you know, vaccine injuries, you know, I recently just barely started talking about the fact that even though I may have helped more people detoxify than anybody in history, just because I was out in the internet in the first 10 years when it wasn't pay to play. And, and because I'd gotten myself well for 10 years, I mean, obviously I didn't go on a 450 city speaking tour as a single mom of four kids, like I was telling you before, unless I was healthy, but in my late twenties, early thirties, when I was in, When getting a PhD, I had to get a job for a psychiatric hospital that I worked in, and didn't didn't know about um, getting an exemption or anything like that. Didn't I knew I didn't want it. I almost changed internships, but it was it was the internship I wanted, and I ended up in bed for four years. So I already had like that backstory, and then I had an injured first child, so I didn't learn very quickly. I had to injure myself and my first child. So what's your backstory besides having the PhD in molecular biology? Actually, that is my backstory. I
1: don't have any, you know, I don't have a horse to raise um, in this race. My children are not vaccine injured because I was already very skeptical. In fact, they both only received two different vaccines, maybe four to six doses, um, and not early either. Because um, back when I graduated, I graduated in in the year 1999, um, I I saw chickenpox being added to the schedule. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. My field of cytokine signaling. We were just cloning the receptors of the immune system uses to signal. So you're telling me we know what these vaccines do? No, we all knew that they didn't. And I was seeing things like instead of um, them them doing after two years, they were moving all the vaccinations before two years. And so you start to ask yourself, why would they do that? The only reason why would they would do that is because they're more reactive after two years. If you pull them before two years, their immune system isn't as reactive. The vaccine actually doesn't take, but you can't see the injury as well. And so there's some things, and like, why would they put chickenpox? Because you're altering the immune system, you really need it to be a life-threatening illness in order to have a vaccine for it. Now, we'd all then become normalized to MMR, but even the MMR story, you know, I heard what they were saying. As a scientist, you're very, very careful with your words. And the CDC was saying that, you know, we have seen no evidence. And I'm like, because you're not looking, right? You know, it was never, we have the studies to show was we've seen no evidence. And and so it was very clear to me <clears throat> that the MMR could be a problem. And I didn't know, you know, that that actually is a vaccine where I just recently found plausible mechanism, but I'm not into gaslighting people. I saw plenty of mechanism for other vaccines. And so, um, mechanisms and in general- Mechanisms like of
0: cytokine storm or mechanisms of injury or mechanisms of action?
1: Mechanisms- by which certain groups might be predisposed. So, like in African Americans, what we know now is that they lack an enzyme that breaks down RNA viruses. <clears throat> so, if you inject a live virus, that's going to, your body's not breaking it down. So, that's going to have a hyperinflammatory response in an African American, and testosterone exacerbates that in boys. And so now we know that that might be one of the it binds to toll like right receptors and, and starts basically cytokine signaling, which can lead to a cytokine storm. Um, and so, again, they might need half a dose or whatever. And so there is plausible mechanism. And for many of these, we're finding, we now know that many of the vaccines contain aluminum. And we now know that uh, the kids are aluminum toxic until they're over two years old. They can't even process and eliminate the aluminum properly until their kidneys are, are fully developed. And so, um, there's a ton of mechanism. and actually, the world's aluminum experts did a press conference to share all that information, and were completely ignored. So, um I, at the beginning, I didn't believe in gaslighting parents. i I saw that there could be plausible mechanism, And I just kept seeing more and more worrying things with the schedule. And then I told my students before I was really even into the research because we didn't have the internet like we do now, I said, this is going to be the issue of our time because there are too many vaccines on the schedule. There's no way that there's not something dysregulating the immune system with this whole schedule. And I didn't know why we had so many on there until someone told me, well, didn't you know, in 1986, they removed all liability for everything on the childhood schedule. And then it all started to come into place. And so then I started, I started studying each vaccine separately. Started with Suzanne Humphrey, sort of opened the door, opened the door to know about vitamin C and other ways of protecting your body. But, um, and then I just, when I found that PubMed was online, I was off to the races researching each vaccine with each one thinking, "Okay, well, this one can't be too bad. And then the deeper you research, the worse and worse it got. And, you know, as a scientist, I'm like, I could not even believe that people were doing this bad of science. It just was completely out of my realm of experience. This is not what the colleagues that I work with, the kind of science they would do. But when it's driven by money, I guess it's a totally different thing. A lot of times you'd get a paper. And so the, the title on the paper would be like pro-vaccine and the abstract would be pro-vaccine and the data would not even support what the abstract said. And so the authors clearly wanted to publish it to get it out there. And so you'd have to be a scientist to realize that, oh, my gosh, this is not, you know, uh, this actually proves that the vaccine is damaging people, you know, <laughs> instead of helping them. But they couldn't get it published if they put that as their headline.
0: Yeah, I've had I've had a few of the doctors who've been out on tour and speaking up and woke up a long time before the COVID vaccine say that um, they'll publish it with a headline, which is actually very similar to what mainstream media does. It, they actually know that most doctors don't even read the abstract, let alone the entire paper. And so they see the headline and they take it at face value. And we're seeing that just across the board in mainstream media is that the headline seems to make a claim. And then if you read the story, the story is not supported, right? It's not, it's it's not like the story supports the headline, Mm -hmm. but the damage is done because Americans are now so ADHD and being bombarded by so much information in the post-information age that they don't realize. I mean, Sherry Tenpenny's collected now over 16,000 studies showing Mm -hmm. harm and death and fraud in the vaccine industry. And she has to keep them protected on her own server and Absolutely. in her own in her own space. Otherwise, no one would see it because they just get gaslit and removed and unpublished, right? Yeah. This morning, someone
1: said I did a talk on myocarditis and the vaccines, and um, they said we can't even post your thing to YouTube, let alone like post it and have it banned or brought down. Like they won't even let. I don't know if my name was on there or, or what, but um, I'm I'm so I feel like I'm a nobody, but I'm so heavily censored. It's really amazing.
0: Yeah. if I if, So I broke a story in Utah, not of the six foot nine basketball player, 16 year old yeah. who ended up in the hospital. His name is Everest Romney and he ended up in the hospital. I didn't break that story. It was actually in the local media. But then when his father, who's also a six foot nine lean, no health problems, super athlete, uh, when he ended up in the hospital with over a hundred blood clots and they both got two different brands, one jab each, one jab each, Pfizer, Moderna. When he ended up in the hospital with more blood clots than they could count in his lungs, he had a pulmonary infarction. I broke that story. That was never touched by the media. And I know that the media saw it because they are in Channel 2, is in my uh, telegram group. And they went straight to the mom that day that he ended up in the hospital. But the media didn't know what to do with it. You know, usually they just try to manage it and polish it up. But they actually... Um, You know they—they didn't know it. They couldn't—they couldn't manage that. Father and son in the hospital after one job, and you know they're both on blood thinners, and who knows what the outcome will be. But yeah, so so if I say the word, if I say Cherie Romney on Facebook, I go straight to thirty days of Facebook jail. Wow, that's that's the mom's name, and she's a neuropsychologist. She also went to law school, and she when this happened to her family, and she got the job too, and she was pregnant Uh at forty two. Um, and so when this, this catastrophe happened to her whole family, she started speaking up about it. And, uh-huh. you know, it was a, it was a Facebook live on a Saturday morning that I did. And um, uh, I didn't just get banned by, I, it didn't just get removed by YouTube. And uh, and in fact, later when I said her name, Sheree Romney, it was literally just saying Sheree Romney's on Tucker Carlson. Boom. I'm in, I'm in Facebook jail for 30 days. And it's not like, it's not like, oh, it was something I said before. No, they showed me that me saying that is what got me into Facebook jail. So anyways, let's talk about cytokine storms because, you know, I bet you have something to say about the fact that they didn't do the animal studies or they canceled them for this job. You're you're a cytokine expert. Tell us more.
1: Well, I mean, I'm assuming you're talking about antibody-dependent enhancement um, where the uh, antibodies, too, that are produced from the vaccine can help the virus into the cells once, you actually see the virus. And so that's what they saw in the last SARS um, virus in 2002 when they made a vaccine after the virus had been around for a while. Um, They found that they vaccinated the the animals. The animals were fine. I think there were mice or rats or something. And then there were some ferrets as well. They were fine. They had a great antibody response. And then when they were exposed to the virus, the antibodies that they made that were supposed to neutralize and destroy the virus actually helped it into the cells. That caused a very quick viremia. And led to a cytokine storm. But the thing that's problematic to me is that these vaccines are actually gene therapy, and they're like a, they're like a virus-like particle. And, and in fact, the um, the J and J is a virus particle. It just is non-replicative; it can't reproduce. And so, these virus-like particles activate your toll-like receptors, and actually would cause a cytokine storm, and would cause anaphylaxis and other things. But um, they actually had to tweak them so that that doesn't happen, but it still is and can happen. So they're highly, highly inflammatory. So if you're already predisposed to um, inflammation, this is going to knock you off the charts. Okay. And if you can't detox, it's going to knock you off the charts. And so, um, but some of the newer data are showing, so something called toll-like receptors mediate some of our immune response. And they had to tweak these so that they wouldn't overactivate our toll like receptors. And so in fact, um, they actually activate some of them to be hyperinflammatory to things that we see later, not right now with the vaccine, but later, like moles. So if you see moles after you get the vaccine, you might have a hyperinflammatory response. So it's kind of like regulated your toll-like receptors. And then they turned them way down to viruses, to bacteria other things so that after you've had the vaccine, if you see a virus or bacteria, your body doesn't respond because it didn't want it to respond too much to the vaccine. So it doesn't respond to those. And so the thing is, then you can end up with a super infection because your body is not dealing with it. You've like turned it down because your immune system isn't active. So it's kind of counterintuitive. It's actually turning off your immune system. But obviously, if you get a super infection, that can also lead to a cytokine storm, make you really ill. But just the vaccines themselves, those nanolipid part- particles can cause a cytokine storm by activating, your overactivating your immune system in some people. And so, and obviously, um, antibody-dependent enhancement, if you help the virus into the cell, you have viremia. Again, that's going to um, cause a cytokine storm as well. Um, there's some data also that through, uh, I don't want to get too complicated, that basically, This disables, the spike protein disables your body's ability to shut down inflammation, to shut down those cytokines. So if you don't shut them down, they're going to keep, they actually keep cycling up. They actually keep like a feed forward loop and they keep cycling up until you end up in a cytokine storm. So it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so that's the question is how do we shut that down? How do we shut down that inflammation, shut down that cytokine storm or prevent it from happening in the first place? Things like vitamin D. But when you dysregulate the part of your body that's supposed to shut it down, It's just not as straightforward as you would think. And that's why we see people with post-COVID, Was just talking to an injury group and they said post-COVID syndrome and post-vaccine syndrome are almost identical. um, Because it's it's, uh, upregulating all this inflammation and cytokine storm through that spike protein and that your body's not able to bring it down.
0: Well, we were in Utah for Thanksgiving. My mother-in-law who has had two Moderna jabs ended up in the hospital for 10 days and it was just massive inflammation sort of focused mostly on her kidneys and her um, GI tract or GI tract just kind of shut down. She actually went away mentally and then physically failed and ended up in the hospital on Thanksgiving day. And we thought we were going to lose her, but um, nobody in 10 days in the hospital told her that we were only there. She doesn't remember anything about the first five days. And I think it's her psyche protecting her from the trauma that they put her through for five days. She literally had bite marks on her arm. It was her own bite marks, from her just trying to stop them from jabbing her and jabbing her and jabbing her because they were trying to get a needle in her arm because they couldn't get an IV in her arm because her blood was so gelatinous. And then they couldn't get blood out to do some testing. And so they basically just traumatized her for days. Plus, you know, in those horrible hospital beds, her mattress was like two inches thick. It was the most horrible mattress. I can't, it's like, that's a prison cot mattress. I don't know why we have those in a really nice hospital. So she was like trying to make herself sideways in the bed and she would just flop over the ends of the bed and just terrible. They put her on 24 seven watch for the whole 10 days she was there, but nobody told her that her blood was had turned to jello and nobody told her nurse daughters that either. She had nurse daughters who were there, but it was my husband who was there. And he's like, they spent hours, Robin, trying to get a needle in her arm and to try to get blood out. And I'm like, that is because what she told you was blood clots in her leg three weeks ago has become a huge blood clot. So what's the mechanism there? How do you explain that to people? Because I keep hearing about people in the hospital and no one ever tells them, you 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 have totally gelatinous blood and this probably came from the vaccine. No one told her either one of those things in 10 days.
1: Right, so the I think the main mechanism of injury, and there are many, of the spike protein is the clotting and it's clotting everywhere and it's clotting in the microvasculature. So some people end up with these huge blood clots that just sort of um, kind of like a domino effect that just keeps clotting and clotting and clotting. But for the majority of people, they're actually getting clotting in their microvasculature. So the spike protein, and especially if you have any any bacterial cell debris in your blood, which can be caused by leaky gut or dental work or an infection, um, it actually accelerates this process. And so you really want to deal with leaky gut and whatnot. Um, but the spike protein is actually activating complement and binding to it. And it just it creates a cascade. And so, and it's, um, you know, sticking to the inside of these, the, the, the blood vessels. And so in those microvasculature, these tiny microclots are happening all in the, the microvasculature first, because the larger blood vessels, those tiny clots, you know, at least can move through. And so that's why we're, see, we're seeing that in the heart. And it's preventing those, those cells that support and nourish the heart from actually giving them what they need. And so the heart cells are dying because they're not getting the nutrients they need. It's happening in the ovaries. It's happening everywhere in all of your organs. And so in most people, because it's happening at a microscopic level, they're not seeing it and they're just having massive amounts of, of, of cell death and, and inflammation as, mm. as all of this happens. And, you know, it's like a bomb going off in their body. Maybe they're able to heal. Maybe they're able to prevent damage if they're taking vitamin C or something to the point. And some people, it's going to get to the point where they're, they're going to die. And then in others, it just continues on and you form larger clots. You know, so you have the stroke, you know, and then you have the pulmonary embolisms and um, and you have, and these strokes are not one stroke. It's like your whole brain is filled with with clots. And so, yeah, so that's what you're seeing is all those microclots are basically making the blood basically gelatinous. And so um, how you, your blood has to work for anything else to work in your body. So how you clear that out, is just beyond me, especially if your liver is also damaged at the same time and your kidneys and everything else. So it's just a horror story as far as I'm concerned. And, but they could do things like give steroids to reduce inflammation. I'm not, you know, I'm a more natural person, so I'm not favor of that but I mean you know at some point you're in triage medicine.
0: Yeah for sure for sure they were uh treating her that way. We we raced home from five days we were spending with the kids over Thanksgiving and left early because we, we thought we thought we were gonna lose her. So I know that you also have a keen interest in the, the groups you're in a couple of the groups that are most they call it vaccine hesitant. And vaccine hesitant would be way too mild of a word to describe me after my long experience. And it's like you said, it's our lived experience. So, okay. So we have less than 30% of black America, or at least black New York that I know of who got the job. But the other group, this, this super interesting to me, it seems to me like it's the college educated, the people that got, I'm going to tell you my theory and then you can please disagree with it, alter it or whatever. But so when I went to college, I was sort of like downloading facts and regurgitating stuff. And it's those people with one college degree that seem to be like all in on the vaccine agenda. But then in grad school, I had to do my own research and I had to defend a thesis and I had to defend it. You know, I didn't do a dissertation because mine was pra- more practice oriented. You know, you have to go put thousands of hours of clinical practice in, but I could have. Um, and so, but many PhDs do is they have to actually think for themselves. That's the proving ground where you learn to think for yourself, that's how I can explain why the number one group that's um, vaccine hesitant is PhDs. You're in two groups of vaccine hesitant people. How do you explain it? Why is it the PhDs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The
1: the people who have a master's degree or a bachelor's degree are basically have just been propagandized and indoctrinated. And, you know, in good faith, they believe that they're a competent practitioner, whatever they do in whatever field they're in. And so that whoever these scientists are, are competent too. So that's Mm -hmm. the belief. And I get that, but um, they're, they just are believing the lies. And I've gotten in conversations, even just about regular vaccines with a nurse. And I've had to go, how does DTAP work? How does it work? And I've had to repeat that question for them to realize they have no idea. They have no idea that it's made to the toxoid or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They don't know how they function. And so um, then they realize I'm a medical professional and so well, let me let you know how it works. And they're like, okay, well, maybe I do need some more information. But yeah, I mean, my qualifying exam, all you do is you look at papers and you analyze what's wrong with them. That's what we're taught to do is analyze what's wrong. I'm not sure it's a great approach to life, but like, um, that's what we're taught to do. And so, and then in a research lab, everybody, it doesn't matter. You could start, you know, as a graduate student, like two months in, they're like, hey, I'm writing this grant. Can you read it and tell me what's wrong? And so all the way through, you're constantly reading papers and identifying the flaws and the methodology, the flaws all the way through. So that's what we're taught to do. And so it's not even a matter of like when you first get it, it's like, you know that there's problems. You just don't know what they are. And if they're big problems or little problems. And so because you know that there is no perfect system, like, you know, the lay person really thinks that, oh, there's these magic pills. They're going to fix everything. And it's just like an emergency room doctor. They say they they die because they know all the things that could go wrong. And psychologically, that's not a good state to be in if you end up in an emergency room. So um, we know that there are just many, many different aspects of this. And we know how little we actually know about the human body. And so we know that there are going to be unintended consequences.
0: Let me ask you about these emergency room doctors, because I have friends who are ER doctors or ICU doctors or they're respiratory therapists or nurses who work in these environments. And it's it, it, you've got the ones who are ferociously in favor of the, the narrative that we hear on TV and from our public health officials. They think that you know COVID is a killer. Everybody should get vaccinated. If you don't, you're an idiot. And then you've got the ones over here who tend to be really a lot quieter about it, but they love to reach out to me and t- talk to me about how they Feel and how psychologically damaging it is to work in that environment and have to go along with these guys who are sitting in an OR saying, I can't wait to vaccinate my six-year-old or whatever. So um, do you think that these this is this is my theory and I'd love to know what you think of it. And you you just added to what I think about why PhDs are so vaccine hesitant as a group. But do you think that they're seeing so many people die on event on Remdesivir and they're not realizing because they've never put people on Remdesivir before? that they're actually dying of remdesivir because they don't have a control group because they put everybody on remdesivir. That's my thought is that they're seeing a lot of death because the people at the end of the line who didn't get any early treatment come to them and then they die of remdesivir, but they don't know that they're killing people with remdesivir. What, what's your thought on why so many ICU and ER doctors are bought in on the, on the whole narrative?
1: Well, I mean, that might be part of it, um, but they're not actually the ones putting them on remdesivir, right? They've been admitted. in in there and they may be seeing vaccine injury. I think it's the same thing as your normal lay person on the street. I think that they want to stay in the matrix. They do not want to take the red pill. They don't want to see reality. I think at a subconscious level, many of them know they kind of are seeing the reality and it is too much for them to take because it spirals out of control really quickly. So you, you start at the science and pretty soon you're like, globalists are taking over the world and like you put on your tinfoil hat and you know you run for your guns or whatever it's right so um it you know once you open that door there's no going back and they do not they want life to be like it was and the only way to maintain us where life might go back to where it was is to believe the narrative and that oh this is just going to clear up at some point and if we all just get vaccinated it's going to clear up If they open that door to, well, maybe this is World War III or maybe globalists are trying to control us or there's a totally different agenda, whatever you think it is, then then they have to grieve the life that they wanted to live, which most of us, you know, have been awake for quite some time. And so we've already started that grieving process. We have no idea what the future is going to look like because we don't know if we're going to be able to stop this and we don't know whoever is doing this, what they will do next. Um, if they can weaponize one virus, they can weaponize another. And, you know, I mean, it was clear, like when this first started, the idea that we wouldn't even consider biological warfare was just plain stupid. I mean, we have how many novels about this? We know we can weaponize viruses. We know China has been working on it for 20 years. And we're just going to gaslight everybody and be like, oh, no, it came from bats, you know, even though, It's completely recombinant and, you know, everything else. And people have been making chimeric viruses for 20 years. No, no, nothing to see here. So, I mean, the narrative was absolutely ridiculous. You know, it should have been entertained right away. And the fact that nobody would entertain it, um, you know, I always thought, yes, it's biological warfare, but we have the tools to shut this down. And then when no one responded, I was was actually sick for most of the first summer. And then with the hydroxychloroquine, when I started researching that and All the fabulous science that was behind it and Didi O'Reout coming out with clinical trials in patients showing its effectiveness and then to have it shut down, I knew right then that this was something completely different and, um, you know, started grieving the nation that I thought I lived in versus whatever is really actually going on and who's in control and what their agenda is. So I think it's just that very simple people Want the reality to be a certain way, and they're not willing to uh, accept evidence that that that's not the case.
0: I think you make a really good point that we're we're all of us who did take the red pill, which I always say is a process rather than an event. Um, there's just layers to it. Um, I think we we have all been grieving, and I I think that everyone listening to this. I mean, I wish that there were lots of people on the outside who are just starting to take the red pill would listen to my show, but mostly it's people who are committed to the truth, regardless of what the, what the outcome is committed to learning the truth, want to know the truth, want to know the truth on, on the specifics, um, who are mostly listening to my show from what I can tell. But I think we all have been in a grieving process. I feel like I've gone through like waves of disbelief and waves of clinging to the lie, hoping that the lie is true, that we're, we're really going back to the way things are as soon as we clear out a virus that can't be, can't really be people this evil in the world, um, and waves of anger and just the whole thing. And so I, I think you're exactly right. So in closing, thank you so much for doing this with us today. What do you want the people of the United States to know that we haven't covered? What, what do you think we need to do to stand up to this, to have the courage to say no. Um, because now we're in a third, and Fauci says it's just a matter of time before the third becomes the standard. Like you're not fully vaccinated unless you have three Israels on four. what what? yeah, what do well, you? Have to I tell?
1: think I want them to know that all the science supports the fact that um, nobody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, and there is truly a very, very evil agenda behind this. I don't know what it is. I'm not into all that. I try to stay in my lane with the science. but I mean, it, it, this is gonna kill people. it kills people right away, and it's gonna kill people by um, other mechanisms as, you know, long-term, right. And cause infertility. But beyond that, it's being used to control people. But with all of that said, um, my message is that God is on the move. So I have been connecting with the most amazing people I've ever met. It's almost worth it. I mean, I don't even know, like I've been speaking out. So my husband and I have had that conversation of like, what are they, what do we do when they come for you? And what does that look like? And where do you go? And I don't know if we have all the answers, but, um, you know, I'm glad he's okay with the fact that I might not come home one day because of this. Um, and there are many other people that feel that way as well. But many more warriors, and to me, it will all have been worth it because of the warriors that I've met. And God is in moving in them. Um, people are experiencing supernatural things in their lives over and over and over again. The energy when I get together with these warriors... I feel kind of bad for the people who are hiding in their house. I feel like you are missing out on the most exciting adventure of a lifetime. I was one of those girls who wanted to be in Narnia and like, you know get my bow and arrow. So it's hysterical to me that I'm this geeky scientist who's suddenly at the middle of this enormous controversy and has been lifted up for such a time as this as a warrior. Because like, who would have ever thought, right? That I would be in the center of this. But God is on the move and he's doing amazing things. I don't know the end, but I know that when things like this happens, it's because God is calling us to wake up and to choose. And this is a time when we're separating the wheat from the tares and you just need to decide uh, which side you want to be on.
0: I completely agree. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Christina Parks.
1: My pleasure.